Tonight's reading comes from Luke chapter 2, um, verses 8 to 16. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Well, I just want to say again how welcome you are to be here. I'm Kathy. I'm one of the pastors here. So, I don't know, Christmas has just snuck around, I reckon. I wonder if you have a Christmas tradition in your home. You know, is there something that you do each year when when Christmas comes around? Why don't you turn to someone near you and just share if there's a Christmas tradition that you have. If you're not sitting near someone, feel free to shuffle and, and find someone to talk to. Just watching your faces just spring to life when you think about those Christmas traditions that, that are so special to us. One of the traditions that I had in my home when I was growing up was that my mum always, always made sure that there was a nativity in among all the Christmas decorations. And these took various forms over the years. From this... Yes, that is the original, still in our family. My sister and I loved this. Like, just it, It's looking a little worse for wear now. And it does spin. Yes, it has Silent Night. And then she found this. So yes, this is the, the glass version of the nativity made in Taiwan, I believe. Still in the family. But the ultimate nativity came when she discovered the knitted version. Uh-huh. She was so taken by this one that she knitted sets for various members of the family. I have to say much to the delight of my cat. My cat discovered that these were just the right size for him to carry around. And I I clearly remember the night when um, I was on the phone to Lynn, our children's pastor, and and I just said, oh, hang on a minute, Jesus just walked across the room. (laughs) She's like, what? (laughs) What? I went to rescue Jesus from the cat. And so here we are in 2019. We're standing before yet another nativity with this, the risk of it becoming just another Christmas tradition. And we somehow in that, when it sifts to that place, can lose the significance that God intended to communicate through this when he gave his one and only son that first Christmas, Jesus who would take on human flesh and step into the brokenness and need of this world. 
You know, some people, when they see significant need, have compassion from afar. Some send money. Some turn away from the need. But when God saw the need of humanity, he didn't move away. He came toward the need and became one of us. Steve and I have close friends who moved from Sydney to a small town called Walker earlier this year. And they uprooted all the comforts of their Sydney life because they knew that small country towns are often doing it tough and they had compassion on them. And they believed that they could bring their skill set, one's a teacher and one's a small business owner, and they just wanted to sew back into just a little town that they had compassion for. But, you know, in all honesty, the move to Walker has probably been more difficult than they imagined as they've made new friends who are devastated by drought. And side by side with them now, they get up to their armpits in these mucky, stinky water troughs as they clean out animal dung and and they kind of put in the little water that's left on the farm for the animals to drink. And then they've come alongside other friends who have had to sell their livestock. And some not even just their livestock, but, but it's like the bloodline livestock. It's the generations of livestock that they've had. And then there's others that they're aware of in their town who just, they've lost hope altogether. And they, they just can't see the point of getting out of bed anymore. I honour our friends for not just having compassion from afar, but, but for becoming part of the community that they had compassion for. And you know, that is exactly what God did with us. Compelled by his love, he wasn't prepared just to have compassion from afar. He became one of us so that he might meet our greatest need. There's a well-known Bible verse in John 3.16. It says, For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son. You see, this, this whole nativity thing was driven by love. The love of God. God who knew that the consequences of sin is death, but who has no vindictive satisfaction in that, but rather overwhelming love and desire for every single person, such that he doesn't want to see the consequences of sin played out. And so he steps in and he becomes one of us, born so that he would take our sin with all of its consequences on himself. Born for love. Born so that each of us might make our way home to the Father. Jesus tells a story in in Luke 15. Bible translators have put their own title on this story and they called it the prodigal son. And so we tend to think of this word prodigal as meaning one who makes bad decisions and blows up their life. But the word prodigal actually means extravagant and lavish. And so this story would really be better titled The Prodigal Father because Jesus told this story so that we might grasp what the Father's love is like. This is the story that Jesus told. There was a son who decided that there was a better way than just working alongside his father and being part of the family who loved him. The son thought, you know, if I can just get out of here and live the life that I want to live. And so in an incredibly hurtful move... He asks the father for his share of the inheritance before his father's even died. 
And no doubt the father, you know, you don't have that kind of cash lying around. No doubt he had to sell some of his assets, maybe some of his livestock, some of his property in order to come up with the cash. And so in this gesture that said, I don't want to be part of this family anymore, the son took the money and left. And his father was heartbroken. But as it turns out, our freedom plans aren't always what we dream they'll be. It started off okay. Parties, friends and freedom. But there was a wild card in this story, as there often is in our freedom plan. Something that we didn't see coming when we thought about how great it would be to do life our way. Something unexpected. Sickness might hit. Someone dies. The job is lost. The relationship breaks up. There's a bushfire or a drought. In the son's case, it was a famine, and the economy took a dive. And so, in desperation, the son took the only job that he could find feeding pigs. And for a Jew, I mean, this was worse than cleaning toilets. This was so culturally unacceptable. And pretty soon, the son hit rock bottom. And Jesus said, in that moment, he came to his senses. And he thought to himself, what am I doing here? I'm going home. And so the son swallows his pride and, and he prepares like a little speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. If, if you'll just take me back, I'll be like one of your hired servants. And he tucks this speech into his, his pocket and he, he starts back up the same road that he's come down, back through the same villages and he's thinking to himself, I've only got one shot at this, I've got to get this right. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you, I'm no longer worthy. And he's getting closer and closer to home and he finally comes into his own hometown and people are peering out through windows and around corners and they're thinking to themselves, is that, is that that son? Surely he wouldn't have the audacity to show his face around here after the disgrace that he's brought on his family. Can you imagine how nervous the son is at this point? Would his father be angry? Would he even speak to him? What was he going to do if his father rejected him? He didn't have a plan B. Now remember the speech. I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy and... Finally, his home comes into view and within seconds, a figure comes running to him. You see, this was the day that the father had hoped would come. Every day since his son had left, he had been praying and waiting, watching the horizon, hoping that one day his grown son just might come home. And so as soon as his grown boy comes into view, he hitched up his robes, he leapt off the porch, and he just ran out to meet his son. And, and Jesus said he, he kissed his son. And the word he uses isn't a Mwah! kind of kiss. It's more like he smothered him in kisses. The father's like, I knew it was you. I saw the top of your head and I just knew. You've come home. You've, you've come home. Well, the son kind of you know, pushes him back and he says, look, hang on a minute. Father, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
but if you just take me back, I'll be like one of your hired servants. And he barely gets this speech out of his mouth when the servants show up. And the father turns to them and says, can you believe it? He's home. Put a robe around him. Get the, the family ring and put it on his finger. Get some shoes on his feet. Call the caterer. Get a band. Call the neighbours. Kill the best calf that we have because we are throwing the biggest party that we have ever thrown. My son has come home. He was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. And the father never even acknowledged the well-rehearsed speech because it's not the quality of our words that get us back to God. It's that moment when we come to our senses and we realise that while we've been living life our way, living our freedom dreams, that the father all along has been waiting for us to come home. Because he knows that true freedom and life is only found in him. There is an invitation to every single person in the room tonight to come home to God. The Bible says that all of us, all of us, like sheep, have gone our own way. But all we have to do is turn back and there is an embrace and there is grace waiting for us in the Father's arms. But the story that Jesus told isn't quite done yet. There was an older brother in the story. And perhaps you relate more to the older brother. Maybe you're not a fan of this story because everyone in this story gets off scot-free. You know, go blow all the family money, party hard, live it up. And when you run out, you just go home and the, the father will throw you a big celebration. Are you kidding me? You might be thinking, that is not how life works. And surely it's not how God works. There are consequences for our decisions. And you know what? You're absolutely right. There are consequences for our, our decisions. You see, when Jesus finished telling this story, he set his eyes on Calvary. He went innocent to the cross. I mean, you talk about consequences, all of our wrong, all of our guilt, all of our shame was placed on Jesus that day when he, like the Father, opened his arms and said, Anyone can come home and find mercy and forgiveness and grace. We are not here tonight simply to celebrate a baby born in Bethlehem. We are here to celebrate a story of love and grace that is greater than anything that we have ever seen or known in our lives. Don't let the nativity become just another Christmas tradition. Let it speak of a father who would love you so much that he would give his only son. A father who welcomes every son and daughter who turns from thinking that we know best, pursuing our freedom plan to come home. A father who welcomes every person who turns back to him. Would you pray with me? Father, we find it difficult to comprehend a love like that because our version of love is often conditional and marred by the messiness of life. And so today, I just want to echo Paul's prayer that we might grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the Father's love, and that we might experience the love of Christ, even though we can't get our heads around it. Father, thank you for your invitation that is open to all to come home. Thank you for Jesus who made that homecoming possible. And so just in the quietness right now, just take a moment to reflect. Which way are you facing? 
For some of us, our lives might be oriented toward our plans, doing life independently from God. Perhaps for some of us, there might even be some wild card being played out. Maybe some things that are making life challenging right now. The Father's invitation to us all is to turn around and come home. And you can do that right now. Just invite you to picture that homecoming in the prodigal story and place yourself in the son's shoes. Tell the Father where you've been and receive his embrace and forgiveness. Father, thank you for your relentless love and that forgiveness and eternal life was made possible through Jesus Christ. Amen.